I want to start with a question uh, today, and it's one I had um, Monday or Tuesday of this week when I was running, and it was, uh, why does God never seem to call us to less? If, if you understand what I'm asking there, like, like, I'm talking about doing less. Why does God never call us to do less? And I was thinking primarily about uh, pastors. You know, like you always hear, every time there's an announcement about a pastor going to another church, it's always like, I just feel like God is calling me. And it's always to something bigger. It's always to something better. Like there's always, it's always a bigger church, bigger opportunity, bigger platform, probably bigger salary. And I was just thinking like, why is God always calling us to do more? And we do this in business and we do this in the nonprofit world. God is always calling us to something bigger and better. Like just once, I would like to have a, you know, a pastor stand up and go, hey, I just feel like God's calling me to a smaller church. God's smalling, calling me to less visibility. God's calling me to a smaller platform, less opportunity, and that sort of And that just doesn't happen. Well, it, it happened once, at least. I, I, there's probably other instances of it happening, but it did happen once. If you've heard of this guy, um, Henry Nouwen. He was a Catholic theologian, pretty prominent Catholic theologian, like spoke at, uh, or not spoke, he, he taught at Yale and Harvard and Notre Dame, and he, he published 39 books that sold 7 million copies. And uh, so he was a pretty well-respected pastor and teacher, and uh, I had had one of his books assigned to me in grad school. It was called In His Steps, Reflections on Christian Leaderships. And it's one of the last books he wrote, and it's about what he did in 1985. In 1985, he resigned his position and went to work at the Daybreak community in Toronto, Canada. And the Daybreak community is a community for um, adults with, with special needs, for with mental or intellectual uh, disabilities. And he says, not only did they not know who he was, they didn't care who he was. Like, he went from, like, everywhere he went, like, oh, this is Henry Nouwen, the author, and this is Henry Nouwen, the teacher, this is the respected Catholic theologian, all this stuff. And he said he went from that to, like, people, they didn't care. There's no such thing as a celebrity pastor at the Daybreak community. And he writes in the book about how that transformed him spiritually, spending 10 years in that community, God calling him to do less, how that transformed him spiritually and how he went from relevancy to prayer and from popularity to ministry, and from leadership to being led. And he doesn't talk specifically about this in the book that I can remember. It's been 30 years since I read it probably. But how he went from doing more to doing less, or how he went from hurry to, to stillness, or how he went from busyness to, to silence and to solitude. And when I thought of Nowen, I started thinking, well, maybe it's not that God is not calling us to do less. Maybe it's just that we're too busy to hear that call. Like life's too noisy to hear God's call to do less. Because we, the reason we feel like God is always calling us to do more is because that's what we're listening for. Maybe we're just too ambitious to hear the call to do less. And so then I started thinking, well, what if God is not calling us to bigger and better opportunities as much as he's calling us to deeper and more authentic relationships? Or what if he's not calling us to more success, so to speak, but to more spirituality? What if, and I know this is, this is radical, but just hear me out. 
what if God cares more about the state of our spiritual being than our success? And again, that's radical because God's always calling us to more success and more opportunity, and, all, you know, and God's always blessing us and all this kind of stuff. But what if God cares more about our spiritual health than our reputation or our position or our power? And I think you know I'm asking that rhetorically. God does care more about those things than the other. <laughs> but we, we live in such a culture that values one over the other, and Christians, is, we, we get caught up in it as much as anybody and that's kind of what I want to talk about today is like how do we how do we hear God's call to do less? One of the, the Old Testament passages that I like is First um, Kings chapter nineteen, and it's the story where Elijah is uh, being called by God. And if you're familiar with it, you know the, the Lord gives this word to him, and he says, "This is chapter nineteen, verse eleven." It says, the Lord says, uh, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So, so he's supposed to go, I mean, there's very few times in our lives that God actually says, I'm getting ready to say something to you, go listen. And so he tells him to go out and stand by the mountain, the Lord's presence is getting ready to pass by. And it says, then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains. And it tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. And he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And it's this reminder that God doesn't always call us in the big and the noisy and the visible ways. Because I feel like that's what we're always looking for. The reason Elijah went out to the, to the mouth of the cave is because he realized that the voice of the Lord was in the whisper. And we're always looking for the voice of the Lord in some other way, some big way. Some, and maybe, maybe the reason we can't hear God calling us to do less is because he's whispering it to us. And we're, we're not quiet enough to hear that call. And so that's kind of where we're going today. I'm, I'm calling this one how busyness is killing our spirituality. And it's something Comer talks about in the third chapter of his book. Um, and it's, he talks about it in terms of hurry sickness. And I don't think that term's original to him. I don't know who came up with it first. But he talks about like our culture is all of us are suffering with hurry sickness. And he tries in several different ways to define what that term means. The best definition comes from a cardiologist by the name of Dr. Meyer Friedman, who says, hurry sickness is a continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. The, the Continuous struggle, unremitting attempt. Does any of us relate with that? You don't have to raise your hand. I just want to know if any of us can relate to that. Trying to accomplish or achieve more and more things and participate in more and more events in less and less time. That's why God's always calling us to more because that's what we're looking for. We tend to hear the things that we're looking for. So we, we, I mean, we tend to hear what we want to hear. And so God's calling us to more because that's what we want. I want to I give you a little uh, test. Don't be scared. Uh, actually, yeah, probably be scared. Um, let me find this here. If you're wondering whether or not uh, hurry sickness is a problem for you, and I think when, it, when I say hurry sickness or when I put that definition up there, everybody probably knows, yeah, this is a little bit of a struggle for me. Uh, but we don't really know the extent of the struggle. Like, 
we tend to, to underestimate our struggle with it. We tend to, yeah, I probably got a little problem with that, but not bad. You know, it's not bad. Um, I want to give you a, a little quiz to see how bad it really is. Okay, and this is something, it's, it, it's, I'm stealing Comer's material here for the quiz. And I was going to have you take out the, con- the connection card and number it 1 to 10, and we were going to put a check mark. And then I realized most of you were going to be sitting by your spouse. And so we're not going to do that. Uh, because there's going to be a great temptation as we go through this quiz. If it was on paper, you, there'd be this great temptation for them being like, I'm going to mark that one for you and that one and that one and that one right there. I was like, I'm going to start all kind of fights in the car ride home. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm, we're going to do this uh, in our minds, okay? So you can kind of just, we can all count to 10, right? So we can, you can keep up with this in your minds. This is not a very difficult quiz uh, to keep up with, but it's just symptoms of hurry sickness. I'm going to put them on the, on the board here well. Ten symptoms of hurry sickness. And as I read through these, when you hear one, you just kind of put a mental check mark by, yeah, that one, that one's me. I'm experiencing that symptom. You just put the mental check mark there. And if you get elbowed, that's a yes. Go ahead and put the yes. So if you don't know and somebody elbows you, that's a yes, okay? Ten symptoms of hurry sickness, that you are trying to accomplish more and more things and participate in more and more activities in less and less time. The first one, irritability. Uh, you get mad, frustrated, or just annoyed way too easily. Little normal things irk you. People have to tiptoe around your low-going, uh, ongoing, low-grade negativity, if not anger. And two, hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, a grumpy email to set you off, or a little turn of events to throw you into an emotional funk and ruin your day. Minor things quickly escalate to major emotional events. And depending on your personality, this might show up as anger or nitpickiness or anxiety or depression or just tiredness. So it's, it's no surprise the first two symptoms have to do with anger and frustration. Because when we are hurried, are any of us kinder people? When we're in a hurry and we're stressed, are we kinder to our spouses? Are we kinder to our our children? Are we kinder to our pets when we're in a hurry and we're stressed? I mean, no. And so it's, it's no surprise that the first two symptoms have to do with anger, frustration, irritability, hypersensitivity. So, um... Now that we're all two for two, let's go to number three. Uh, So just, again, like when you hear one of these, say, yeah, that one's me. I'm struggling with that one a little bit. Yep, that symptom's showing up. So number three, restlessness. When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you can't relax. You give Sabbath a try and you hate it. You read scripture but find it boring. You have a quiet time with God but can't focus your mind. You go to bed early but toss and turn with anxiety. You watch TV but simultaneously check your phone. Not me, never done that. Um, you know, <laughs> restlessness. And number four, workaholism or just nonstop activity. You don't know when to stop or worse, you can't stop. Another hour, another day, another week, your drugs of choice are accomplishment and accumulation. These can show up as careerism or just as obsessive house cleaning or errand running. Uh, result, you fall prey to sunset fatigue. When the day ends, you have nothing left to give your spouse, your children, or your loved ones. You get grouchy, curt, overtired, and it's not pretty. So again, just mentally keep track. You're, you're either at three of four right now, four of four, maybe one of four, 
Yeah, I mean, wherever you, this is, and, and again, this is like even when we, not only does hurry make me irritable, but even when I want to slow down, like I know, I listened to last week's message, I'm like, I got to slow down, I'm going to start doing some stuff differently around here. Even when I want to slow down, I can't slow down. It's like I, I just, everything in the world conspires against me and I can't slow down. All right, number five, uh, emotional numbness. You just don't have the capacity to feel another's pain or your own pain for that matter. Empathy is a rare feeling for you. And empathy actually can only be cultivated in uh, rest and stillness, I think. Because when we're hurried, we're always focusing on just ourselves. And we're always focusing on just what we're dealing with. And we're always focused on the, our schedule and our priorities and our commitments and all the things that I've got to get done and I've got to get done I've got to get done. It's hard to focus on others when you're in this constant state of hurry. Uh, number six, out-of-order priorities. You feel disconnected from your identity and calling. You're always getting sucked into the tyranny, the urgent, not the important. Your life is reactive, not proactive. You're busier than ever before, yet still feel like you don't have time for what really matters. And then number seven, lack of care for your body. You don't have time for the basics. Eight hours of sleep. Who's he kidding? Uh, eight hours of sleep. Uh, daily exercise, healthy home-cooked food, minimal stimulants, margin, you gain weight, you get sick multiple times a year, you regularly wake up tired, you don't sleep well, you live off the four horsemen of the industrialized food apocalypse, caffeine, sugar, processed carbs, and alcohol. Okay, he's just meddling now. Like, he's just getting into stuff he shouldn't get into right now. I thought we were talking about spiritual health and mental health and emotional health. What in the world does my physical health have to do with my emotional health? Well, I think the experts will tell you quite a bit, okay? And I'm not talking about um, the word of faith nonsense, like somebody has cancer and well, you don't have enough faith in God and that's why you have cancer. I'm not talking about that kind of nonsense. I'm talking about the things we do to ourselves physically when we're feeling something emotionally. Like when the emotions are raging out of control and that's, that's when we overeat, eat, that's when we drink too much, that's when we, you know, whatever it is that we do to our bodies physically when Things are just kind of out of control emotionally. And so that's, that's some of the symptoms of hurry sickness, which is actually where he goes next. Uh, escapist behaviors. When you're too tired to do what's actually life-giving for our souls, we, we turn to our distraction of choice. Overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching Netflix, browsing social media, surfing the web, looking at porn. Name your preferred cultural narcotic. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. If you're anything like me, when you get over busy, the things that are truly life-giving for your soul are the first to go rather than your first go-to, such as a quiet time in the morning, scripture, prayer, Sabbath, worship on Sunday, a meal with your community, and so on. Now, this one hits home for me because I'm, I'm, I always take a risk when I preach about these things. When I preach about rest and slowing down and saying no and that kind of stuff, I always take a risk because inevitably somebody will say to me, you're right. I've got to slow down. You are so right. This is so true. I've got to slow down. I'm going to stop coming to church on Sundays. I mean, I'm just going to take the weekend off because this is so pressure-filled and this is so stress-filled. And I'm going to call Tammy today and tell her that I can no longer teach in the toddlers because you told me to take a rest and you told me to take a break and that's what i got to do. And I'm going to drop out of group because I just can't go to group every single week. Man, every Wednesday night i got to go to small group. I just can't do that. And the irony is the very things that give us life the very things that give us meaning and purpose and community are the first things we drop when it comes to 
you know, trying to, trying to rest and trying to recenter and that kind of thing. So, you know, the, the things that we are t- designed to help us improve our spiritual and mental health are the things that we get rid of first and engage in more in escapist behaviors, which leads to the last one, and that's isolation. You feel disconnected from God and others in your own soul. And, um, you know, you just can't, you can't get your mind to settle down long enough to enjoy the Father's company. Like, it's just, you, you can't, even when you're with friends, you can't get your mind settled down long enough. Because even when you're with friends, you're on your phone and, and distracted by all the other things going on with all the other friends. Or not even friends, but all the other strangers that you happen to know on social media and happen to follow. And you're distracted with all their problems when you're not spending time with the folks that uh, you're actually with in their presence. And uh, hurry interestingly enough, makes us more isolated and more lonely. So, the question is, uh, how did you do? So, if, if, you, if you were keeping count in your head, um, were you 5 out of 10? Which I would say is fantastic. Uh, you did a great job. Congratulations, you passed the test. <laughs> or, you know, were you 5 out of 10, 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10, 10 out of 10? Like, Every single one of them hits. And, and this is not, I understand that there are times in our lives where there's certain times in our lives we experience every single one of those. Okay? There are times in our lives when, uh, that are busier than others. That's just part, that's part of life. There, there are certain seasons of life that are busier than others. When I had toddlers, I thought that was going to be the busiest season of my life. And I don't want to scare all you parents with toddlers, but it ain't. Okay, it ain't. Just wait till they start driving and going over, you know, and all that. I mean, it, it, there's certain seasons of life that are busier than others. And there's certain days of the week that are busier than others. And there's certain, you know, weeks in a year that are busier than others. And we just do the best we can in those. This is not, I'm not trying to say in this series, like, you just need to stop doing everything. Just cut it all off, stop doing everything, throw the phone away, don't go to work anymore, resign your job. No, no, I'm talking about uh, balance. And that's really what the Sabbath is about. This series is based on the idea that we ignore the commandment of the Sabbath. Um, but, but rest is not about being lazy. The, the command of the Sabbath is preceded by what? Six days of work. So the Sabbath is about taking a break. The Sabbath is about building balance into our lives. And that's something that Jesus invites us to do in, in Matthew chapter 11. But he doesn't just invite us to do that. He models it for us. A couple of examples. And I use this one a lot because I think it's just so interesting. I heard a speaker use it years ago, and it has always stuck with me. I'm not real good at it, but it's always stuck with me. In Mark chapter 1, uh, Mark tells about the beginning of Jesus' ministry, like his very first day of public ministry. And it was a very, very busy day of public ministry. He went and he spoke in the synagogue in his hometown. And uh, he did this, all this teaching. And there were great crowds of people there. All these people vying for his attention and his time. And uh, there was a demon-possessed man that stood up and confronted him while he was teaching. And he cast out the demon. And he went to Simon's house. And Simon's mother-in-law was sick. And he healed Simon's mother-in-law. And then it says right here, look at that. It says, that evening after sunset. So this full day of ministry for Jesus, full day of teaching and, and dealing with people, full day of ministry. It says, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at the door. 
And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. And he also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And I think this is interesting because Jesus, after this full day of ministry and after sunset, and he's home and he's ready to relax, and the whole town shows up at his door, and he doesn't say, I'm sorry, folks, I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to rest more. You know, I'm trying to build more balance into my life. My pastor spoke about rest, and I just can't help you right now. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, he helped them. But what happened next? This is the very next verse, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So after a full day of being with people, Jesus had to get away and and take a break and to be by himself and to spend some time in prayer. And and it didn't last long because verse 36 says they all started looking for him and they found him. It didn't last long. Peter found him. He's like, where you been? We're all looking for you. All these people need you. But Jesus did this throughout his ministry. You see him throughout his ministry ministering to people, but then building in intentional breaks. It's almost like he believed in the Sabbath. So building in intentional breaks as Jesus went through his life. Another one is uh, Matthew chapter 14, the feeding of the 5,000. And this one doesn't describe as much the chaos of the scene, but just think about the chaos of the scene. As he's been teaching all day, and there's 5,000, well, there's 10 to 15,000 because it only counted the men. So there's 5,000 men, and women and children were included in there as well. So there's 10, 15,000 people, and Jesus has been teaching all day, and the crowds are there, and they're, they're hungry, and they're probably hangry, like they're getting, you know, things are kind of, how are we going to feed all these folks? And Jesus didn't say, listen, uh, I would love to help you, but I've been reading this great new book uh, by John Mark Comer about the ruthless elimination of hurry, and I'm just, I'm just trying to eliminate more hurry out of my life. So I can't help you right now. I can't serve you right now because I'm trying to, trying to say no to stuff like this. No, Jesus served them. Jesus met their needs. And again, a very, very full, busy day of ministry. But look at what he did right after. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat He's like, y'all got to get out of here. (laughs) He made the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. Again, Jesus went, when he he ministered to crowds and he, you know, was in a busy day, it was a busy time, but he always counterbalanced that busy time with, with a break. And that's what I'm thinking we've got to get better at doing. We've got to be more intentional at building in those breaks. Because, as you know, we talked a little bit about this last week. We don't even know how to take vacation anymore. Because we can't escape our work at vacation. It used to be when you go on vacation and I come back to the office after vacation, it'd take a day to catch up because you've got to sort through all that mail and you've got to follow up on all those missed calls and all that. Because I don't have any missed calls when I come back on vacation because I didn't miss any calls. I took my phone with me. I don't have any emails to catch up on because I checked my email while I was on vacation. I don't have any mail because who gets mail? You know, I mean, it's, I don't, I mean, it's, it's, we're constantly in a state of activity all the time. And so how do we build in vacation? How do we build in day off, a day off where we, where we disconnect? How do we build in times where we're balancing our work and our rest, or we're balancing crowds with solitude, or we're balancing noise with silence? Like, we have to, to learn how to do that. We have to be able to do that. And, and I, don't, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole again, but I keep thinking, like, 
the odds are not in our favor. Things are stacked against us. The purpose of that quiz was not to make you feel guilty. The purpose of that quiz was just to remind you that there is a problem. Like that, that, that hurry and busyness cost us something. They're not harmless activities. Well, I'm just busy. That's not a harmless activity. It actually does cost us something. It cost us relationships with other people. It cost us relationship with God. It cost us relationship with our soul. But there is an entire, there's multi-billion dollar companies out there designed to capture as much of our attention as possible. That's why I say the odds are not in our favor. I mean, they're, I mean, they're designed, they're, their objective is to capture as much of our attention as possible and then sell that attention to advertisers. And so how do we take breaks? How do we take a Sabbath? How do we experience silence and solitude when everything is conspiring against us to not do that? Comer in the book uses this quote right here. And I don't know if this is his or not. I'm just giving him credit for it because I couldn't find out who else said it. So maybe he said it. What you give your attention to is the person you become. Now, I've heard Todd say something similar to this in our student ministry. But what you give your attention to is the person you become. And um, that's good news if you give your attention to Jesus. <laughs> right? That, that's good news if you give your attention to the Word and, and you focus on all the good and the beautiful things in life. That, that's good news. But if all of my attention goes to, to Meta... <laughs> That's not great news. Or if all of my attention goes to, to CNN and Fox, this is not great news. If all of my attention goes to 90.3 or 99.7, this is not great news. Because if, if everything about me is consuming, and this is, the, this is the deal. What do you do when you rest? Now, what do we do when we rest? When you take a break, if, let's say you, you, you're taking a break from work, I'm going to take a 10-minute break here and rest, or uh, what if you're in the doctor's waiting room? What do we do when we rest? Scroll. That's what we do when we rest. So I'm talking about rest, rest, rest. You're like, that's a great idea. I'm going to go home this afternoon and spend two hours on my phone scrolling. Uh, that's not rest. You know why it's not rest? Because we're still consuming and our mind, it may feel like rest because we're not physically moving and we're not cleaning or doing this or whatever. They feel like rest. But our mind, mentally and emotionally, we are still consuming. We're consuming everybody else's problems. We're consuming everybody else's stress. We're consuming whatever it is that they're mad about, whatever politician they're upset with, whatever situation they're torn up about. We're consuming that. And that constant consuming of information stresses us out. We don't even realize it's happening. We're consuming the problems of people that we don't even know. And, and we're just, the, this constant flow of information. I was thinking this week, um, man, wasn't it great back years ago when you could only catch the news at 10 o'clock and then it was only about 10 minutes. And then you had to wait to the next morning and read it in a physical paper if you wanted to read it. And they were usually a day or two old. But that was, that was your news consumption. You spent about 15 minutes consuming the news and then you went about your day. And now it's constant. Every day. Every, constant. You're getting breaking news, breaking news. Everything's breaking news. And every bit of the breaking news is about politics. And, and i got to quit because I'm going to get in trouble if I keep going. So uh, that's a good place to stop right there. I do want to stop right here. What you give your attention to is the person you become. And we've spent two weeks talking about uh, the problem. 
And the reason is, you don't, if you don't realize what the problem is, you, you can't fix a problem you don't know you have. So we spent two weeks talking about the problem. The rest, the next month, we'll spend four weeks talking about the solutions. And so we're going to talk about spiritual practices that we can implement in our lives to help us take a break, to help us reduce the amount of hurry and busyness in our lives. And we're going to start with silence and solitude. So that's, that's next Sunday. It's Labor Day weekend, but I'll be here, and hopefully you'll be here too. Uh, silence and solitude is where we're going to start. And then we're going to, we're just the next three weeks after that, we're going to look at a, one, one practice a, month, a week uh, for that. Uh, I know this question right here, or this quote right here is in our small groups. So if you are interested in joining a small group, this is the last time I'll mention it because they all started last week. And they got off to a really great start. Uh, our small group's not so small, but that's okay. That's good. Uh, but they got off to a really good start, and it's not too late to join. If you want to join one of those, you just email Tim. He's out of town this week, but email Tim or, or go online and, and sign up for that, and there's a way to participate that way. Uh, I'm going to say a word of prayer for us, and then we got plenty of time before this next service shows, and so I'd love for you to sit around and visit with each other before we get out of here. But let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for um, the example of your son, Jesus. Uh, Even though he had all power and authority, everything under his control, he still modeled for us how important it is to rest. And if if the most important person who ever lived could take time off, then surely we could take some time off ourselves. Um, If if the, just, I pray you help us do that because it's, it's difficult uh, for us, and we're not the first generation to struggle with it, but help us to to learn to slow down, help us to learn to um, to walk in your ways, and help us to accept your invitation, and Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11, that, that those of us who are weary to come to you and you'll give us rest. Uh, we thank you for that, and we're thankful for this time that we have to study together, and thankful for the times that will continue in groups as well. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.